Nobody can really manage stress. Nobody can manage what happens in, let's look at what's going on in the world right now. Can anybody manage that? No. Can you manage if somebody runs into you with their car? No, but what you can do is build the capacity to adapt to more stress with less cost. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Inspired, the podcast where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs and innovators who are changing the game in their respective industries. Before we dive into it, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe to the show if you haven't already, and follow us on Spotify so you can stay up to date with all the latest episodes and content coming your way. Stress is not going away. How we manage stress is where the magic is. The question of how we can improve our performance and manage our stress is quite a popular topic these days, a question that scholars, doctors, researchers, and experts consider whether it's flow, recovery, data, or a mix of everything. On today's episode, please welcome Mr. Hardly, Dr. Eric Corum, the CEO and founder of AIM7, a world-class team of coaches that help you turn your wearable technology into actionable insights to optimize your recovery and in turn your life eric is also the host of the blueprint podcast and spent 16 years in football in the form of the nfl division one collegiate sports and also is an entrepreneur and athlete himself so eric it's awesome to have you on the show how are you today sir that's a wonderful intro man i i, I feel very like i'm I'm a little embarrassed, so <laughs> I'm doing good today. I really am. It's Friday. Um, it's nice weather, and I'm gonna break bread with some friends tonight. So it's it's a good it's a good Friday. Gotta always appreciate getting together with people that we care about as the week winds down. Let's start off by talking about something that I brought up at the top: stress. Mm-hmm. What is stress? in your words, in today's day and age? Well, stress biologically is just a signal. It's a, a very generic signal that has a very generic response. Well, I should say this. That stress comes from different inputs. It could be um, good and bad. You know, there's eustress and distress, but the sources, the stressors could be financial. It could be a relationship. It could be exercise. It could be physical. It can be psychological. But the way the body responds is actually very generic. Um, you have these certain biological systems that turn on and there's a very predictable response and stress is actually very beneficial for a lot of things. Um, it's the only way you get better at anything. If you want to improve physically, you have to, you know, exercise, right? Like if you want to get stronger muscles or improve cardiovascular system, you stress the system. If you want to learn a new skill, you deliberately engage in learning, which is rough sometimes. It's agitating, but that's what creates these neuroplastic changes in the brain. The key is, is adapting to stress. So biologically, you either adapt and get better, or you maladapt and you get sick, injured, or ultimately you could die. Uh, that's, it's just kind of two pathways, right? Um, and so the, the goal is, is to, um, to take on stress deliberately and then to pair it with a commensurate amount of appropriate rest. When it comes to managing the right amount of stress, right? Like you talked about it as a good thing. You don't usually hear stress is a good thing. Hmm. So 
how can people start to manage their stress in a productive way when it comes to the scope of your work? Yeah. First of all, I would say I have a a little beef with the term manage stress because nobody can really manage stress. Like nobody can manage what happens in let's look at what's going on in the world right now. Can anybody manage that? No. Uh, can you manage, you know, stuff that happens in the, in the markets? Can you manage if somebody runs into you with their car? No, but what you can do is build the capacity to adapt to more stress with less cost. And so if you think about it like this, if, if a very general way of thinking about it is like, if you've ever, you know, exercised before, right? Like maybe the first time you went to the gym, you left, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. And then you do it over and over and over. And after several months, you're like, well, that first workout I could do and like barely break a sweat. Why? You deliberately engaged with the stress, you adapted, and now you have more capacity. So um, what you want to do is is understand like where you are in this continuum of adaptation. And if you can understand where you are, then you can deliberately engage in the types of recovery or the right dose of stress that you can control. Like for instance, I can control like today, I'm tired. It's Friday, had a long week, I've been on the road a lot. So I'm not gonna go do a typical aerobic session that I'm gonna do today. I'm gonna go put a weighted vest on. It's beautiful outside. I'm not gonna wear any headphones. I'm just gonna go walk for an hour. And I'm going to feel good about myself. Why? I'm stimulating, not annihilating my body. I'm stimulating the recovery systems. I'm going to get a good night's sleep tonight. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. And then I have a date night with my wife tomorrow night, which is another great way to refill your bucket. And I'm going to go crush myself in the gym uh, before that uh, because I enjoy it, right? Part of it's, but you understand what I'm saying? Like I had planned one thing, but because I know where I'm at today, uh, I woke up this morning, looked at my AIM-7 app, <laughs> you know, I'm a 33. It says prioritize rest and recovery. It's telling me to do a restorative training session. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm not going to be that, you know, I'm not going to be a bullheaded person be like, no, I'm going to go do this. I'll actually tell you a funny story if you don't mind really quick. Um, we were recently in San Francisco raising money for our seed round and um, I'm with my team and we're, you know, we're doing the typical startup thing, sleeping on friends' couches and everything. My buddy's like, hey, let's go to Soul Cycle." He's like, you've ever done that? I'm like, no. He's like, it'll be great. I'm like, dude, I, I had a, a score of a 16 out of 100. I'm like, I am smoked. I, you know, you've been, you've been pitching for four days in a row. You're going to be tired. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to take it for the team. I'm going to show up. And, you know, and so we did the class strained my calf and I could, I could not get back to the car. I was like, it was that like I could have, but like, and so my butt, like I walked like a mile and he was like, dude, we're, we'll just come back and pick you up. I didn't listen to the signals and I paid for it. I think that's where like the ego relative to the recovery, it's always the hardest line to walk, especially with people that i mean i'll just speak to myself like it is the hardest thing to not train like there's yes. just a mental urge that's always calling me and technology i know we had we have a mutual i'll call him an acquaintance uh dr kian vu he's actually also been on the pod where oh. he talks about 
the value in wearable technology. And I know you had them on yours as well. Yeah. There is this interesting guidepost when I had asked him about the value of wearable tech because I had a whoop for a long time. Uh Uh-huh. It started to mess with my mood. I found that even if the insights were extremely informative, it just became too much data. As much as I had learned, and we can get into all that, but he talked about the inaccuracy of these devices, and he talked about them in relation to anything between 30 and 70% of inaccuracy. And then he proceeded to talk about how they're good to track trends. And for me, that was definitely informative. But I'm curious, from your perspective, how do you view the role of wearable technology as an asset in today's society? Well, first of all, I love Kian, but it depends on the metric. So caloric burn, for instance, can be wildly inaccurate. Things like heart rate, depending on the device, or step count, it really just depends on the device. Like some of these things are really, really accurate. So for instance, like sleep, uh, sleep. these devices are really good for determining when you went to bed, when you woke up, and how long you slept. They're very accurate because there's years of accelerometry data, okay, from laboratory tests. But they're not good at sleep stages. So if anybody's got a whoop or an aura and it says you had this much deep, don't even look at it. It's not valid. And I'm actually going to drop a link in the chat. We built this um, site. Have you seen this yet, Jonathan? I don't think so. Um, We had a postdoc work with me for three months. And we built what is now the number one resource on the web. We're back and forth with nature on the accuracy of wearable technology for number one on Google. And what we do every single month is the new scientific literature that comes out. We give you per device how accurate it is for every single category. And we've been cited by major outlets. Um, And we just actually released one yesterday that I'm really proud of. This is a three-month project on recovery tools, saunas, cold tubs, everything you can ever imagine. And we've done a ridiculous amount of research to be like, this is what it actually does. And this is where it should be useful in recovery. So anyways, these are think free resources that we build for the public because we want people to make informed decisions. Back to your question on what's the place of these things. Um, you, first of all, Research demonstrates, there was a great study with Aura Rings that was demonstra- uh, that was published in the Frontiers of Physiology that demonstrates that wearables do not change long-term health behavior. They just measure it. They're just measuring what you do. But, here's the big but, if you pair it with a very specific goal and you give the user real-time feedback, encouragement, and education, they can be used to change health behavior. So I see it as a part of the problem, a part of the solution, sorry. But just wearing a device that doesn't tell you exactly what to do with it creates more anxiety than anything, to your point. And here's the other thing too, these devices don't know how you feel. So like I have an aura ring on right now. I think it's a great device. As a matter of fact, I think they're one of the more reputable companies when it comes to research, right? 
I think that I think they're a stand-up organization. However, they don't know how I feel. So some days it's like, Eric, you're a 90. And I'm like, no, because it's actually indexing on certain things inappropriately. And I don't want to go into that detail. That's kind of part of our IP. But what we do in AIM7 is, is we actually assess how you feel in a very unique way. So we our algorithms blend how you feel plus wearable data to create very personalized recommendations. So to your point, there's a whole lot more to the picture than just static data coming off a device. It has no context. Well, first off, I want to mention that I'm going to be dropping the link that you just shared with me in the show notes so people can go ahead and access it and see all of the unique insights that are offered here. On average, wearable fitness devices underestimate step count by 9%. That is definitely a new piece of data for me to consider. Yeah. Some devices are better than others, though. Well, I I think, like, for me, at this point, mm-hmm. I'm tracking my steps. I remember, because Whoop's whole thing is steps don't mean anything, right? That's and then completely also- <laughs> bogus, because the I scientific agree. literature... Sorry, I don't want to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, We're both please, in agreement on that. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's really, you know, I had a little bit of disdain for it because it governed a lot of my thought process for maybe like six, seven months where I'm like, oh, steps don't matter, but they do. Need activity is extremely important. But seeing as you're the expert and my interest as it pertains to your expertise mm-hmm. would be around high performance. Mm-hmm. and how you go about tapping into high performance from a physiological and evidence-based perspective. Now, can you please give the audience a bit of background on what AIM-7 is? Yeah, so we turn wearable technology data into personalized recommendations for exercise, sleep, and mental fitness. I'll give you a big 50,000-foot view. Go back to my time in sports. So... Over a decade ago, I went to Australia because I wanted to learn about the emerging world of sports science and athlete wearables. And so I came back with the first little suitcase of tracking units. No, this is before Apple Watch existed. This is kind of Fitbits somewhere in the, you know, people started wearing these. So we started putting these on football players. I was at Florida State. We really wanted to understand what was happening in the game, in practice. Nobody ever quantified it before. Well, we had millions of data points coming off these devices. They were connected to GPS satellites, they had accelerometers, uh, magnetometers, gyroscopes, crazy stuff. And I'll never forget, I brought reports to the head coach. It's just data. And he's like, what am I going to do with this? And I was like, I don't know. And that did not work out well for me. And that's when I kind of realized like data with insights just completely useless. So I ended up hiring a NASA propulsion engineer. They had just cut the space program. And this guy comes in and he's like helping me organize it. And then we could use it. When we were able to turn it into actionable recommendations, our team had an 88% reduction in injury the next year. And we went on to win a championship. The NFL flies in. Like, what's going on here? And it blows up. It is all over. the Now, every game you've ever seen tracked, it opened a multi-billion dollar market. So my purview on... The consumer space is like, we got data, but it's not useful unless it unless it's an actionable recommendation for you today, and that's the problem we're solving. We have five pillars, exercise, sleep, mental fitness, nutrition, and fostering healthy relationships. Why? 
Those are the five key things that if you engage with them at a certain level are the unlock for longevity. The literature is very clear. Going back to Whoop's misguided point on uh, steps, there was a paper that just came out that as little as 2,800 steps a day can significantly impact all-cause mortality. 7,000 steps a day impacts uh, your risk of cardiovascular disease. Like it, it kind of like the drop off is huge. Once you get to 7,000, 8,600 is kind of like the drop off point for improving, um, reducing all cause mortality. So there is a ton of research on this. We know the same thing for exercise, for sleep, engaging with healthy relationships. So what AIM 7 is all about is, is how do we tell you busy people that are time poor, like, just tell me what to do today. Like you don't have time for graphs and charts and all the stuff that maybe you and I would geek out on. People just want to know like from a trustworthy, reliable resource, like what do I do to look, feel, and perform better? I love how you distilled it into this concept of, and and it's similar to having like the best nutrition plan in the world. If you don't act on it, it doesn't matter. So I think that when people access the data they think that putting on the technology actually correlates with the health improvements but as you outlined there's a behavior change required and the data helps guide that behavior change in a customizable way and it sounds like aim seven is a light in that journey that people can trust in order to start to make effective and sustainable behavior changes there's this definition of resilience. And I think it also aligns with how you look at adaptability. And it comes from someone that I've studied and and appreciate his work very much, uh, Stoic sports scientist, Mr. Ross Edgley. I'm not sure if you're familiar with mm-hmm. his work. This dude is as badass as they come. Swam around Great Britain in, I think it was 167 days without wow. setting foot on land. Like, put a 100-pound tree on his back, did a triathlon, scaled the rope, as many times it took till he reached the height of Mount Everest that he's done some really, really cool things. Definitely think you should uh, check out. Yeah. His How do you spell his last letter. name? Edge. Uh-huh. E-D-G. Well, I guess it's spelled wrong. E-D-G-L-E-Y. <laughs> wow. I'm going to look this guy up. Sounds like a fascinating person. So I've read all his books and he talks about this concept of resilience as resilience is suffering strategically managed. And it also aligns with your approach, at least in my opinion, of adaptability, stress versus rest, our ability to adapt. When did you start thinking about the problem in this way, about stress versus rest and our ability to adapt? These are really great questions. Um, We were tracking what players were doing, but that's one thing. So there's two things as a sports scientist you want to understand. Internal and external load. External load is what you did. Internal load is how you responded to it. So this is early days. We're measuring uh, heart rate variability, which is a good peek into the autonomic nervous system. We're measuring direct current potential of the brain, which is an indicator of how the central nervous system is adapting. And we started noticing that like elite, elite athletes or tactical athletes like special operators, the best of the best of the best were incredibly resilient to psychophysiological stress. They could take on a tremendous amount of stress and they would just rebound. 
Like, like it looks like you didn't even do anything to them. Then you would take somebody that maybe was like a starter on a division one team, but they weren't like an all American and they would like a normal person have a dip and then would take some time for them to rebound. So I'm like, okay, how do we build this capacity into anybody to adapt to more stress? And so, um, basically like the human body is an adaptation machine. How can we facilitate that process faster? And it's multifactorial. It, it, it includes physical and psychological resilience. Um, the ability to, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of components to this. And so we would look at an athlete and go, okay, where are their strengths and what are their limiting factors? And then how do we bring up those limiting factors so that they can adapt faster and faster to stress? Because the athlete, they could train their skill the most frequently under the most, under, under the, under an environment that was most similar to a game. Uh, and they could do it without getting injured. Most likely if they have a genetic, a good genetic potential, they're going to achieve their potential. But if you if you get injured and sick and so all this kind of stuff and you can't train at a high level, you're just not going to get better. So that that's that's where the idea came from. Was like, how do we build this? I don't want to say superhuman capability, but this ability to adapt faster so we can train more and get better. How do you draw the line between high performance and the data backed actionable insights and the David Goggins mentality? For me, it is like the finest of lines where I know as, you know, someone who's an enthusiast in the realm of, you know, sports science and also has this military background, like head through the wall type of approach. And I've experienced the drawbacks of both. How do you rationalize action? Yeah, so... Okay, there are certain jobs that require a bit of like, okay, like when I was a football player, like you just dealt with the pain to a certain degree because that's part of the job. The problem with the David Goggins mindset is it works well for him. People like David Goggins, though, often make terrible teammates because all they think is, is like, well, this is just, just, just get hard you know, it's like, well, that's just not real. Um, like put him in like a corporate environment or like a, a, a diverse group of people. Like it's not going to work out well. Um, it's also kind of like the, so a good friend of mine, Dr. Alex Arbach, did you ever hear that series we did on the four stress mindsets on the blueprint? I put that one in the link. Uh, people would love this episode. Awesome. We talked about the four stress mindsets. I'll send it to you. But one of them was the David Goggins mindset. And then the other one is like, hey, uh, failures are learning opportunity. That's also a terrible mindset. Like you never want to go into competition thinking I can learn from failure. Do you think Michael Jordan was thinking that when he had the ball in his hands? No. He's like, I'm going to go freaking win. Yeah. So I'm the same way in the sense that like, I'm like, just to be, I mean, I'll just be very authentic with you. Like, I push really, really hard. And if my t- if I ever sense that a teammate's not pulling the rope the same way, I, my first reaction is to like, what the heck's wrong with you? But that's like, there's, every situation is complex, multidimensional, and relative. You have no idea what somebody is going through behind closed doors. And so, 
I know that this is more like a team thing, but like those type of folks typically make terrible teammates. Uh, you're not always going to want to be led by that type of person. Uh, I don't think he was ever a leader, was he? He was just a seal. That's probably an, that's an interesting characterization because at the same time, he's extremely motivational, right? So he has a lot of people looking to his content in forms of influence, but at the same time, as a team leader, I can't say in reading his books, watching the interviews, that I can recall him being deemed a leader. No. Now, Jocko, who's another... I mean, but look, look, man, I've got friends that... The guy that's a VP of player development he uh his name's Brian Decker, very public story. He ran the schoolhouse um at Bragg and um you know he's a very different he's a green bray, very different type of leader, very intellectual, freaking hard working. Those guys go through the grinder, but he's listening and he's thinking and he knows how to push the buttons at the right way. And so like now you don't have to act like that. And also the SEAL community is different than other communities. Sure. They have different jobs. Um, you know, so anyways, I just think we, we, it, we, I just think it's really important that we look at these mindsets and put them in the context they are in. Uh, so, you know, good for David Goggins. If, if what he's said and done has helped some people, then that's awesome. I personally am repulsed. I'm turned off by that. I just, I don't, I don't enjoy somebody just telling me to get hard, you know? I'm like, dude, you don't know what I'm going through. <laughs> like, like, have a little compassion or sympathy. You know, like, you know, sometimes people do notice, need a swift kick to the rear end. You know, I've got, I got kids, right? And sometimes they need to be like, hey, you just need to suck it up a little bit and, and go do the hard thing. Otherwise, you'll never, you'll never be able to build that resilience to your point, right? I think it's a very interesting take because... As a fan, as an athlete, as a soldier, there's a great saying, actually. When your commander tells you atta to attack and you're 20 years old, you say, where? When mm. you're 30 years old, you say, how? And when you're 40 years old, you say, why? The wisdom mm. comes as you grow wiser. And so reframing it, I think that... As I've gone through this journey of learning where I can push my body and seeing where the Goggins mentality or that stay hard mentality starts and stops, mm -hmm. it, it has been a very difficult line to draw. And so that's where the strategic managed suffering becomes appealing because mm. it becomes mindset relative to the data and reframing the stress to prevent the burnout. And on that note, it's something that you would kind of addressed in regulating your nervous system in the episode with Lauren Murphy. Hmm. <laughs> and you went through this aquatic, aquatic, New Jersey accent, <laughs> training experience. What was that like? I know that you shared some of the insights in the episode, but for the audience here who's unfamiliar, love for your feedback on what it was like to train underwater. Oh, man. Um... <sighs> That was it. So Lauren Murphy is a MMA fighter, good friend of our families. Um, my wife actually is a physical therapist. Uh, we're all jujitsu jiu practitioners, but my wife's actually a brown belt now and has been training with Joe and Lauren for a long time. So Lauren wow. started a deep end fitness. Uh, it's a uh, these two 
Marine, former Marsoc guys started this deal and um, it's underwater training and they, um, they do a really good job, as they say, of engineering stress. And I'll be quite honest, one of the biggest fears I've had my entire life is drowning. So I went and did this and it's like you're doing, you know, treading water and you do a side stroke with a weight over your head. All the tests I did well. Can you drop to the bottom of the uh, floor? Can you know, like kind of in like that dead man's position, bottom of the pool, come up, do all this. I did okay. But then it was like this you're swimming across, then you swim underwater, like I don't know, 15 meters or something. I don't know what it was. And then you pick up a weight and you have to walk with it and you set it down and you go up to the top and you have to do this back and forth. Well, like I freaked out at one point, like I thought I was going <laughs> to drown, right? And um, it was, it was kind of scary. And, you know, Lauren comes over and, you know, she gives me like, <laughs> she swims over and, she, you know, she's got the, it, the, whatever it is, the little thing I can rest on. And, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to practice my breathing. So they engineered stress and they gave me tools to use. I knew the tools I needed to use, but they told everybody else. And so I'm slowing my breathing down. And she's like, Eric, the next time you go down, I want you to think, I've got this. I'm under control. And I did that. And guess what? I was able to move the weight further. And so I think there is this like deliberately engineering stress and then putting yourself in that situation and then executing under that stress. It's the same thing in football or any other sport I've ever trained. You always teach the skill in a low stress, low speed environment. And then like, you know, former military, what do you do? You learn how to draw your weapon, aim and shoot, aim and shoot, aim and shoot. And then you add complexity, right? And then once you add complexity, if you're, you know, if, if you go up to the, you know, if you're in these special military units, you, you're, you're shooting live bullets, right? It has to be as real as it possibly can, but you don't do that day one or somebody's going to die. You slowly inoculate them to that stress and then you make it so real and so close to the real thing that when they actually experience it, they've been inoculated and they're prepared as much as they can be, right? And there's always that room where like you, you haven't done it and then you have to actually do it. But when you've trained enough at the right speed, right tempo, right stress, right scenarios, and you have the right team around you, you can execute or you can have the confidence that you can execute. So that concept of graduated pressure, where slowly you're taking on more, teaching your body to adapt to that stress. So yes. in terms of the podcast and the mm -hmm. newsletter, what can people expect to find when they come across your content? Man, I hope they find somebody that's authentic and just on the journey to learn. Uh, so first of all, thank, man, I just I appreciate the opportunity. The, the blueprint started out as like, I just wanted to interview really smart people. And then, um, I started Same. realizing like, what are the, th huh? Same. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a pleasure. It really is like a, yeah. an amazing opportunity to, to interview really smart folks. And then the next thing was like, okay, um, what is it that people need if they want to lead themselves and thrive? They need, they need the the wellness tools. So I say cutting edge science, leadership, life skills. And so we we distill the podcast down to like 15 to 20 minute episodes. So if you're busy, you can come and learn something. And then uh, the newsletter, it's called Adaptation. And uh, every Friday, I just send you something for your mind, body, and recovery. Something I'm learning, a resource, a tool, something actionable. 
Um, and I hope that it's beneficial. So, uh, I'll, I'll give you links for that. I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, but it's kind of like a, you know, I'm building aim seven. These two things have been kind of like a labor of love and I don't advertise anything on there. I'll talk about aim seven every once in a while, but it's just like, hopefully it's making an impact in somebody's life, you know? Yeah, I can definitely relate to that just a little bit. It's always yeah. about trying to make the world a better place in your own unique way. And these are topics that obviously we're both passionate about. And to hear and learn about your take on adaptability, resilience, the data to action gap, how people can start to make strides in their recovery, in their lifestyle, to start to build a dream life that they're proud of. Eric, as we wind this down, there's a question that I pose to all my guests that I'm not going to pose to you. Mm -hmm. If the future version of yourself from 10 years from now, assuming he's in that ideal spot, were to fly in and offer you some advice in order to get there, what do you think he would say to you? Mm. Slow down. Um. There's a sign. Slow down. You're moving too fast. Um, you ever heard that uh, oh, Simon and Garfunkel song? Uh, I don't know why maybe. this just came to my mind. It says, slow down. You're moving too fast. Got to make the moment last. Something just chilling out and feeling groovy. I don't know. Like I think I would just be like, I got three kids, 11, 7, and 3. And it's always like, this is a hard time right now. Um, you know, I'm building a startup. And we're in the war, some very weird economic times. It's the hardest time in 25 years to raise capital. Uh, three years ago, I would have been funded like overnight. <laughs> uh, and now they want like series A metrics at a C. It's crazy. But um, uh, I would just probably tell myself to just slow down a little bit and just take it in. And so I'm trying to deliberately like take moments with my kids and just like sit there and soak it up. I've been doing this lately. Like, don't miss this moment. Like, you're going to remember this. I got a three-year-old, like we went trick-or-treating and I'm like, he's never going to have another three-year-old. You know, like this is such a cool moment. Like, don't, don't miss it. Be present. And so, um, you know, I think that's probably what I tell myself. Family first, always. I'm a new father, 10-week-old baby girl. She's oh, congrats. Thank you. She's the most amazing thing. And it's funny because I'm interviewing a lot of dads, new dads, and, you know, by happenstance. And, and it's always the same thing. It goes super fast. And make sure you're present in every moment. And I try to use her smile as a trigger there to put go. my phone down, like to be engaged and to not miss a single moment with her precious heart. So... Eric, this has been awesome. Please let the audience know where they can find you. Yeah, I mean, I think you've told them every way. Uh, <laughs> on social media, it's just at Eric Corum. On, I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn and X now, I guess would you call it. But uh, if I can be of service, just reach out, please. Um, that's what we're here to do. And if you if you uh, want to give AIM7 a try, we have a seven-day free trial. Um, and I'd love to get your feedback. Uh, we got some really exciting stuff coming out. I don't know when this is going to air, but... We're about to release personalized and contextualized resistance training programs that adapt with your stress, adapt with your time demands. And then we have an AI coach we've been building for two years uh, that was coming out, God willing, around January 1 that um, 
it's been that has been a labor of love and i'm really excited to show that to the world awesome well thank you for coming on the show to share some of your insights and i'm sure the audience will be following up with you soon thank you man thank you i appreciate it